Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, How to Think Like a Professional DFS Player. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass where, alongside James McCool, I teach you about the, the game theory of DFS. Doesn't matter the sport, NFL, NBA, MLB, doesn't matter. You could be playing LOL, it's the game constructs of what Daily Fantasy Sports is. Not about picking the players, but building lineups that uh, that have uh, positive expected value. And if you don't understand expected value, that's, that's what we talk about. Like how, how to view projections, how to, how to look at correlation, how to look at leverage, how to, all those things that you could apply to any contest, whether you're playing cash games like double ups or head dads, or you're playing GPPs, whether you're playing large field, small field, are you building one lineup? Are you building three? Are you building 20? Are you building 150? It all applies because I get those questions all the time. Well, if I'm doing this, does it apply to me? It applies to anyone that plays daily fantasy sports that wants to take it more seriously, wants to turn themselves from a losing player to a break-even player, from a break-even player to uh, a winning player, or someone that plays casually but wants a, a little bit more of a shot at winning a big payday in one of these large field contests. And, uh, and I'm joined by, by Eric Beimfor once, once again. We're doing this every week uh, on, on Tuesdays, primarily. And, uh, and uh, there's, as I say about the course, uh, there's, there's no better marketing than winning, right? <laughs> right, yeah. That's why I'm here. That's why I was, I'm ready for this show, because I get to talk to the, one of the big winners of the week. And maybe you can, you know, I'm that guy that you, I want to go from a break-even player to a winning player. You were talking about me just now, this NFL season. I can't break through like you have. So now I'm just going to pick your brain for, you know, a little while and see if I can, I can actually uh, get to the winner circle. Yeah, but I'm assuming that you've took, you take a look at my lineups and my exposures and you know, you know exactly why I played the lineups yeah. that I played. And you also probably saw that I, you know, in the $9 slant, I came in first place out of uh, six, 65,000 entries. Uh, mm-hmm. I had 77 entries in there, $693. And uh, for people that are wondering about like, well, why 77? Like, first off, I don't max enter anything because my risk tolerance is, is low. I'm a nit. So, like, I, I have a certain amount that I play cash versus GPP. And, uh, and I'm also, like, I'm a little bit of, uh, like, obsessive-compulsive that, like, my, my number of, of lineups has to be, like, an even number. So I'm not just – because I'm playing the tw- the $3.20 max, so that's 20 entries. I'm playing the $8 three max, so that's eight – that's three entries. So, like, it equaled – everything equaled out to 120 entries. So, like, that's and, – and, and the number of the dollars was a zero. So, like, as long as those two things go together, it looks good on my drafting – on my upcoming screen. It makes exactly. no sense. There's no reason to do that. It just yeah. – I'm going to build around that many lineups anyway and play those contests. And whether it be 64 entries or 78 entries, it just happened to work out that it's 77. So, so people yeah. have asked that. I'm like, there's, there's, no, there's, there's no actual strategy. There's, there's no thinking behind that other than I just like <laughs> zeros and fives uh, on right. my screen because it feels better. I, th- I mean, that sounds like really stupid, right? But I believe like, Play DFS like however makes you happy, right? Like you are playing, you know, not max entering, multi entering. I'm playing a couple teams because it makes me feel better. Like I can't stomach managing all the different teams and I suck at it. But like it makes me feel more comfortable doing it. And the same same way as you, I don't do the dollar amount. 
but the entry amounts, like when it's on my upcoming screen, like if so, if I entered one of my teams in you know, 46 contests, I'm like, well, this, I can't do this. I got to find four more. I got to find four more contests to go enter because I, I want it to be, to be 50, you know, but it makes me feel bad. I feel good going into, going into the slate. And that's the, that's, that, that's the, li- it's the little things. It's right. Little you know how hard it is don't. when I'm like, I'm going to enter the $12 <laughs> single entry and I'm like 12, I need to find an $8 contest or, to get to, <laughs> yeah. or a $3 contest to get to, to a five or a zero. So I guess uh, if there's another $8 entry I could put in, I'll, I'll find it. But uh, the thing that I, that I always do since I, since I play uh, large field contests is that first place has to be higher than the total amount of entries dollar amount that I'm playing because I play all unique lineups. That's why sometimes it's very hard. If you go on Roto Grinders results DB, you could see exposure levels on DraftKings at least. FanDuel doesn't have the downloadable CSVs of uh, like the the person's exposures. You could go and see yep. what what uh, what Mocklovin did. You could see what Uticao did. You could see what uh, Petty Theft did in those contests. But a lot of times players are building a 150 build and then putting like their best three teams here. And it's it's just a 150 build in total. Me, I play all unique lineups because it's just like, I just want a big one of them. Like, mm-hmm. and I try to put the highest leverage lineups in the largest field contests mm-hmm. and the lowest leverage ones in the smallest field contest. Sometimes it's crunch time towards the, the, a slate and I don't have time, and I just uh, it's 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 the rand function, I guess. I guess it's just random. <laughs> uh, so I need to know that, like, I'm not thinking in terms of, well, if I only played this lineup in another contest, like the lineup that I won fifty thousand dollars, if I played it in the Millie Maker, which I didn't have any entries in, I didn't play it because mm-hmm. as the season goes on, that first place prize gets even bigger percentage. Worse, yeah. Uh, it would have came <clears> in second for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, but like I. As long as first place is higher, like I had fifteen hundred dollars in in entries in GPPs, which includes five fifty in like single entry and three max. So like I'm hand building those teams. So I need first place plus my cash. I'm playing you know like seventy five hundred dollars in cash games, that type mm-hmm. of thing, which I did horrible. Uh, <laughs> same, which, right? Same. Which is which is which is great. That it's like I don't even yeah. care. at this point. I don't even care. I come in first place in that contest. I'm good. Yep. Uh, so first, so. In total, I'm playing like nine thousand dollars. So, like, first place has to be more than nine thousand dollars because I don't want I don't I don't want to win one of those contests and lose money on the day. Like, it right, just, it, right. it, it it makes no sense to me. So, if the contest is five thousand the first, like I I'm just not I'm just not in those contests. I want I like mm-hmm. I like playing those contests. I may play those contests in MLB when I'm playing a thousand dollars worth of volume. If I'm playing mm-hmm. NBA with two thousand dollars worth of volume, so uh, do you have to do that? No, I just it, it's a more more of a psychological thing where uh, I, I, I don't want to have the, it could have been in that contest and whatever, yeah. but at least it's more than, you know, at least I profited on today. It's worse if, oh, it won 1500 that lineup won $1,500 in a three max and I lost money on the day because it wasn't in the $9 slant. Like I, like that, that it defeats the purpose of what I'm doing. So there, there are some, you get some byproduct of, of of being kind of uh, an OCD type of yeah. type of person, but I do, I, I think the the general point of what you're saying is true. You know, I have some buddies who um, play very casually, you know, DFS, and th- they're I, f- I find that people that uh you know that are my buddies they they're growing as DFS players, but you know, like but they haven't figured out these little things that we're talking about, like. 
they'll fire away at just the random contest, right? I make I made a lineup, I'm throwing this one in the $12 single entry, and then I made this lineup and I'm throwing it in the slant, and then I made this lineup and I'm throwing it in some small 150-man field or whatever. And so you run into that exact issue that you just had. They're like, oh, God, I put that lineup in this contest and it won me 500 bucks, but it would have won the slant or whatever. And so having some sort of you know plan, it, it, it's different for everybody. Exactly what you outlined, I think, is the most you know logical way to do it. And it's a little bit different for me you know, if I'm playing like two or three teams. But still, the general thought process is similar that, you know, if you're going to if you're like, it's so hard to make a really good team, you know, like you did Sunday. It's so hard to make that that team. You may not make a team that good ever again, like, like the rest of the year. To do it and and run good and put up that kind of a score, you need to maximize, you know, your your profits, not maximize like you were talking about with the Millie, but maximize within your like general constraints, your little, you know, eco ecosystem that you're you're playing from within. And and I do think that's something, you know, that never really crossed my mind before talking to like some of my more casual friends that they are kind of just firing away at contests. Right. And and especially because I will say things like for me, smaller field, like so if you're playing 50 bucks, you know, I want to play in it like smaller fields because that's how you can grow your bankroll as more of a casual player, because that's what has worked for me. It doesn't work for everyone, but like they take that and it's like, oh, well, there's this $12 contest with 120 people in it and they're firing off a different lineup into that. But then they're also playing the Millie and the slant and all of that and trying to, you know, figure out the best strategy uh, for that, I think is more important than people give it credit. Well, I think it's, it's more the fact of building the lineup for the contest. So yeah. a, the, yeah, the, the, the downside of that, that you, that you hear a lot amongst uh, average DFS players is uh, I'm playing, I'm playing uh, $50 and I'm playing a uh, 1 million maker entry, uh, $12 single entry. I'm playing a couple of $3 play action entry. You know, they, they're playing, you know, a cup and each of those lineups are in different field contests. And because they only have five lineups, you know, they're playing like, well, I can't take risks. And it's like, no, you, if you're, if you have one entry, you could play one entry in the millimaker, but you can't play it as if I need to get 30 bucks, right? A 1.5 X, you know, Oh, I can't lose this $20. No, that, that entry should be the, the entry where you're you're 90% of the time will not cash. Like not like just make it for, even if that's your only lineup, right. And showdown, especially where people, Oh, I'm going to just play the best play. No, play the crazy lineup. That's that could be duplicated maybe only three times you win $200,000 on. It doesn't matter that it's your only lineup because if $10 means that much to you, you shouldn't be playing DFS to begin with. And right. if it if it means enough to you that you you want to maximize your chance of like getting a little money back, you shouldn't be playing those large field contests at all, let mm-hmm. alone, you know, one entry, one it, if you built 150 entries that are all safe, you're negative EV. So like why why the hell would you do <laughs> one? That yeah. isn't like you build one and you go, um, I'm, I'm, who's the chalk? You you look at the, the four, the four most owned players and just you X them out and you yep. go now build the lineup. And well, well, what happens if they get there? Well, then you lose, then you lose your 20 bucks. And that that's that you can't be afraid to lose. People looked at, uh, at, at my lineups and, and I had 77 lineups in this land. There were tons of bad lineups, 21 cashed, <laughs> right? But they were all based on leverage plays. They were mm-hmm. all, all of them 
And I uh, and I, I want to give a shout out to because uh, only only because he, he he rarely ever compliments people. It's your buddy, it's your buddy. Shit, my money, right? Adam, yeah, right. Uh, on 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 the Awesome Review Show, said that he liked my lineup, and and then <laughs> no, but that's not the compliment. That what I considered the compliment was that he said it felt it almost felt like like it's a hand built lineup with the correlations that go into it. And I agree. it's not a hand-built lineup. I, I That's why I use 80, 50 groups. I mean, and all leverage, mm-hmm. play, like that's, that is what I'm doing. Like that I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I came from a hand-building background. I know Peter mm-hmm. Overset, it's the hand-builders versus the opto-bros, <laughs> right? Uh, on, on, on his, the bankroll challenge stuff. Uh, I'm a hand-builder. I played soccer for a year and a half and, I played a cash lineup, and I, I would build, like, up to 15 GPP mm-hmm. lineups. But I would always do it by hand. I could build 15 by hand. And soccer, there's correlation, there's leverage. It's the same concepts in DFS. And then once I moved over and, like, okay, I'm going to expand it to baseball, I did the same thing. I'm just, like, I'm going to build 15 lineups, and I'm going to build them by <laughs> hand. I'm going to stack 5-3. I'm going to stack 5-1. Well, I'm going to do whatever and uh, build the line. And I play large fields, so these are all risky-ish type of lineups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you learn the dynamics of like, okay, well, I could get leverage here and then that's going to be negatively correlated with that. And then if I stack this and play this picture, it's like, okay, I could hand build. Well, now you could go into an optimizer and go, well, I want those types of lineups. Right. Like for, for the, for, if I'm playing this team, this stack size, I'm more likely to get an expensive running back. Mm-hmm. So I need to up my expensive running back exposure. I need to have expensive running backs in my pool. Right. I can't be like, oh, I'm gonna. I'm, I can't. I can't be. I'm fading Madison T- uh, and T- Davis and Henry. I'm playing all the cheap ass running backs, and then also want to play Demir Bird in lineups like that. <laughs> that's also cheap in a in a in a right. New England stack. Like, no, I'm gonna need. Um, if, if it shows up, like I saw, for instance, these are the types of things that you think of that that come t- when you when you hand build. Learning mm-hmm. to use an optimizer. If you learn how to hand build. Uh, the optimizer is a piece of cake. It's just features. Yeah. So I was getting a lot in my builds, a lot of Darnell Mooney at 3K. I was getting a ton of them. But, you know, <laughs> can you guess the reason? I know why. Can, what, what's the reason why I was getting a ton of Darnell Mooney in my lineups? You had the expensive running backs, and he was a 3K wide receiver that projected for whatever. Yeah, who was what my, was who was my most most exposed running back in my in my player pool? Probably Henry. No, Henry. Was, I was way under on Henry. Madison. No, you're not getting it. I, I guess I, I guess I have to teach you, Eric. Yeah, you guys, you're, you're not used to using optimizers, so you don't know how. No, never. Right. Literally never. <laughs> we talk about correlation, right? So you're going to build a stack that's like two plus one, three plus one, mm. three plus two, something mm. like that, and then if okay, it, it. if in your other spots you could get a correlation of like one plus one. Like yeah. you, you, you tend to lean towards that. I was, I was like fifty percent, fifty-two percent exposure on Mike Davis, which is Davis, on the Panthers. Yeah. So the one-one would be Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney, and Darnell Mooney is the cheap receiver that has a decent point per dollar value. So it's jamming in in all my Mike Davis, a lot of my Mike Davis lineups. It's jamming in Darnell Mooney to get that one-one. So now I have to now, I, and I'm at I'm at a build where he's twenty-seven percent exposed. Like, like I have to, I have to limit that. I have to, I have to find yeah. a way. Cause do I want to play? Hey, I could, I could say, I want to play all the Darnell Moody. I, I didn't want to, 
I wanted to play enough of them. I was playing Bears stacks with Davis runbacks and, you know, stuff like that. Obviously, that didn't get there. But right. when I'm, when, if you're hand-building, you'd go, okay, Davis, Mooney, and then you play the Atlanta-Minnesota stack around it, and you do something like that. Well, since either I had a choice, how do I get less Darnell Mooney? Well, I have to lower my Davis exposure. I didn't mm-hmm. want to lower my Davis exposure. So I would go in and those one, one correlations in lineup HQ, you could set percentages on those. So I had to start lowering, like instead of a 70%, all, 70% of my lineups, I want at least a one, one in there. I'm lowering right. that down to 60 and then seeing what happens, lowering it down to 50 and seeing what happens. Cause I take a look at the running back opposing wide receiver correlations. And I go, well, who, what other running backs do I have in my pool? Well, I have Devontae Freeman, but I, but I want a lot of Terry McLaurin. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. so that's good. I want a lot of that percentage to be that. I, I, yeah. I, look, in, I look in there and I see uh, Jonathan Taylor. So I'm like, okay, that, that means I'm going to get a bunch of Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, right? right? I already have a bunch of Trey Burton. So, like, I can't sit there and, and go, well, why do I have 8% Higgins? Why do I have 7% Boyd? I go, no, because that makes sense with the one. If I want less of that, I got to I gotta bump that down. But this is, these are all the considerations you make when you hand build, right? Right, Eric? Mm-hmm. When you're making a, a 150 power sweep lineup or a game changer lineup, like you're fitting in, you know, if, if you're playing a, a three plus one or a two plus one skinny stack and you're going to go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to play Derrick Henry. And you go, well, I'm going to play Derrick Henry and then I'm going to play Will Fuller on the other side. I'm going to play Brandon Cooks on the other side. If it fits, if you had a choice with Derrick Henry in your lineup, and you had a spot for like a 5K range wide receiver, why are you playing Chase Claypool? You should be playing Brandon Cooks. If you have uh, Terry McLaurin already in your lineup, why are you playing Chase Claypool? Play Darius Slayton in that lineup. Even if you're not stacking the game with the quarterback, like they project close enough. Obviously, Claypool projected higher. Okay, I get that. But not Claypool's 25% owned and Slayton's 4% owned. So, like, the, 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 it's not five times ceiling probability. So that that's that's the play whatever you want type of, the play whatever you want method to say. Like, all your choices that you make in your lineup, because you're hand-building. But I'm hand-building also. It's just that I'm programming a tool to do <clears> all <throat> my hand-building for me. So when you, when Eric, when you build the lineup like that, you typically start with the stack. Right. Right. And then once you plug in, it's like, okay, you have the quarterback, two wide receivers and the opposite wide receiver. Now you have running back slots that you have to fill. So in that flex that if you're playing wide receiver in the flex, whatever running back that you play in the running back slot, you probably are going to use that flex spot for the opposing wide receiver. If, if, if it fits, because that makes the, I mean, that makes the most sense to maximize for correlation. Now, obviously in your smaller field contest, you may not have to maximize to that extent where it has to be that way. Yeah. But when I'm playing 65,000 person fields, like I, 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 by default, I want, I want that, that correlation if I can get it. And if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. Like, you know, it, that Brandon Cooks lineup could have easily been uh, Will Fuller and then some other defense. It could, it, mm-hmm. it could have been that, but I was just trying to leverage uh, number one on the, on the chalk pieces, if Madison and Thielen fail, who succeeds? Jefferson. Okay. Uh, most people, if they're stacking that game, will play Cousins, not Ryan. Right? And if they're playing Ryan, right. they're most likely playing Ridley, not Julio. So, like, th- there you go. There's the stack. And then you can look on and go, 
well, if I'm not playing Madison, uh, I have room for a 7K running back, so I'm going to play Derrick Henry in this lineup. And then instead of Chase Claypool, I play Brandon Gooks. I mean, it all, if I'm playing Trey Burton, why not, if I have, I have room for like a high 4K wide receiver, why not T, why not T Higgins? It could have been Tyler Boyd, and the Steelers' defense could have gone down to some other defense. It could have been that. Just didn't so happen to be that. But are these the types of things that you take into consideration when you you hand-build your single-entry and three-max lineups? Yeah, so first you can tell how I literally never think about, like, player exposures and that within the context of, like, Darnell Mooney and all that because I start – like, well, you only it, have five kind of, lineups. I mean, yeah, you, exactly. you, you don't need exactly. to do. I mean, like if you have twenty percent exposure, it's it's one lineup, right? Right. Exactly. To me, I have but to learn I, how the the optimizer is trying to try to maximize for pro- median projection until yeah. you tell it otherwise. So you have to think in terms of it, it's dumb. It's only yeah. as good as you. So you have to. It's it's not. It's it doesn't like Darnell Mooney. It just you're telling it that you want a secondary correlation at all costs, and you want a ton of Mike Davis. So you're going to get Allen Robinson and, and Darnell Mooney in a ton of lineups. And yeah. if you want to have less of that correlation, you have to intervene in <clears> some <throat> way where you're you're not getting as much of that. Yeah. Whereas I'm intervening from like the start, right? Like because I'm not trying to. You're trying to take what's in your brain. And put it into this this software, this math formula, essentially, right? And so it's doing its best as it can based on the inputs that you've provided to it. But you, like you said, you have to make those tweaks. Whereas I'm starting from scratch. It, it is only my brain. I'm cl- I'm the one clicking the buttons into the into the lineup, and I'm starting at that. It's kind of a combination of things. I generally would say it's like starting with like the the game environment type of thing because when you're only playing a couple of teams. You, know, you, you as an, like everyone has to narrow it down. Like the, the people get mad about like the play whoever you want thing, you know, because it's funny and like kind of trolling or whatever, but like everybody has to narrow down their pool, like to a certain extent, right? You're not literally playing every single game. So you start to narrow it down. It's easy. It's, I don't want to say easier for you, but you have a little bit more flexibility on deciding exactly what, how you want to attack what games. And so, you know, start to narrow that down, but how you narrow that down for me you know, can be a, a, tons of different things, right? Like I might like the Titans game the most. So it's on my list, but then we start, you know, I, you have the five, six, seven, whatever games that are on my list. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to stack the I don't know, Steelers game or whatever. N- not saying you can't stack the Steelers game. If you like that game more than me, by all, by all means, it doesn't matter. Like you said, play whoever you want. But for me, you know, it wasn't on my list. So you start working your way down that list. And like you said, with the Vikings, Okay, that's an interesting game because it's going to be kind of popular, but there's really interesting leverage points in that game. So that you know, that game like moves up a rung for me in terms of priority, right? Or or you could probably do it with that. It was kind of hard with the Titans game because every goddamn Titan was was popular. Well, unless not, you're well, playing well, not Humphreys. I, I, well, I was just going to say I played Humphreys. a bunch of I played all I'm my sure Tannehill stacks. I did not want to play without Humphreys because. Yeah. Then I'm playing the I'm literally playing the what the exact chalk. Just same for Stafford Galladay type of thing. Yeah. It's like how do I play so much of that? And we talk about leverage points. I just want to intervene for a second because maybe you don't maybe people don't understand leverage points. So I want I want to use I'm going to use three examples. I want to use obviously the example that you mentioned: Madison and Thielen or chalk, right? Mm-hmm. Leverage would be whoever's negatively correlated with that, and that would be Jefferson. Okay, and, and, the, and Irv was and Irv was shocked too, right? And Irv was so, shocked also, right? Uh, 
then like in the Titans game, like, okay, everyone's playing A.J. Brown and John U. Smith, but no one's playing Adam Humphreys. If Adam Humphreys catches a touchdown, it's a touchdown that comes out of Henry. It's a touchdown that comes out of A.J. Brown. It's a touchdown that comes out of John U. Smith, right? So, I mean, yep. so every time that Humphreys catches the ball, you're getting more points because he's 3% owned over the 20-plus percent owned of all the other, like all of those lineups it's like they're going in reverse while you're going up. So you're gain that's called relative value. You're gaining yep. relative value. And then here's the other. And then like I, w- I was, I was uh, getting trolled a bit because uh, my, my terrible take, I don't have takes, but I have like, here are leverage points that you could use. I'm yelling at people going, I'm playing a bunch of Adrian Peterson. Right. Uh, and, Yes, you could have played DeAndre, DeAndre Swift and said it's the same play. It's the running yeah. back of the team that everyone has the passing game of, right? Yeah. And they're cheap. So you could jam in these 6K wide receivers into your lineup with ceiling. So I'm going, everyone thinks the Lions is going to pass the ball in the Jaguars. Galladay and Stafford are chalk. Obviously, Marvin Jones, that's that's a leverage point. Instead of going from Galladay, you go to Galladay to Jones because they're negatively correlated. But mm-hmm. uh, if I played Jones, I felt like I needed to play Stafford, and Stafford was already chalky as the quarterback. I wanted to bust two players instead of one player, right? Because yeah. so if Galladay yep. busts, most likely Stafford busts. And Stafford's 10% owned. Galladay's 22% owned. Now I bust 32% of the lineups. If I yep. play Marvin Jones, I need to root for Stafford in some some aspect. The opposite is the Steelers. So on the Steelers, I I went low on Claypool, and I played some James, James Washington. Not much. Played some Juju. Not much. I played him, I think, two or three lineups. Because he didn't project well. So, I mean, he didn't fit into much. Uh, so, but Ben Roethlisberger was not popular. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm perfectly fine with the passing game doing well. I just don't want it to go to Claypool. So, who's negatively yeah. correlated with that? The other receivers. I didn't have James Conner in my pool. If Ben Roethlisberger was more popular, then I would have played James Conner. Because right. now I'll take the running game while people are taking the passing game. People weren't taking the passing game in the Steelers game. They were just taking Claypool. So, I could bust him. But the quarterback didn't match, so I'm not busting the passing game. So I'm I'm now going to the negatively correlated other pieces of the passing game. I could have yep. I could have went with Connor there, but like that's why the Lions I went with the running back and the Steelers I went with the other wide receivers because I'm just looking for how how could I bust as many lineups as possible in a lineup. And it doesn't mean I'm not playing those guys because in other lineups, I'm trying to bust other people, right? Like, <laughs> right. like I'm playing Stafford Galladay. Line- I played five Stafford Galladay lineups because they projected well. But in those lineups, I'm trying to bust Claypool. I'm trying to bust Madison. I have Jefferson in that lineup because I already have a chalk piece. So now I have to try to bust the other chalk. So even my lineup that won, I played Henry and Davis, who were two of the chalkiest running backs. But I tried to bust Madison, and I tried to bust Claypool at price range. I tried to bust, uh, you know, the, the guys that are in those ranges, in those price points, that, in, that that was the purpose of that one lineup. The next lineup may have a completely different purpose. It may actually be exactly. to bust a chalk that's in my other lineup, and then it turns <laughs> out that one of them does well, and one of them does really, really bad. But I just need one of these lineups to come in first place, and it makes up for the the seven thousand other lineups that didn't do well. I mean, it makes my year. I mean, this this literally like you. I play. This is why I play. 
I'm not afraid to lose. I lose in GPP yeah. 90 plus percent of the time. So like I, I just need one, one or two of these a year and I'm wildly <laughs> profitable. So, yep. so I just want to highlight what, I mean, this is stuff that you'll, you'll learn in the, in the audio course, like what, what leverage points are. And when you're hand building, Eric, I mean, you, the difference is, is that like, like, uh, I'm devoting a lot of my bankroll to, uh, try to bust a lot of different leverage points. You kind of yeah. have like, like we joked around on the last episode. It's like, like I'll pick my favorite 10 and play all of them. Uh, yeah. you're, you're picking your favorite, like two. Right. And, and. That's that's because obviously I'm playing I'm playing less teams, but also you don't need to bust not, everyone because you're playing smaller exactly. fields. Exactly. So I, I'm trying to pick the couple of spots in a 200 man field, sometimes less, that instantly catapult me to the top. You know that like all those different leverage points that you you know are are attacking, they're like. You're basically you, you don't know which which obviously don't know which exact one is gonna is going to uh, uh, you know propel you. So you're, you're you're playing all the appropriate angles that you should be. Every like there's only 200 teams. Like I'm playing against 195 teams or like shit. You know some of these contests I'm playing against 50 people. You know I, I don't play the Thunderdome, but like if you play the Thunderdome, 25, 30 people. Like you don't even really need to bust Claypool chalk. You just need like two things to go right, right? Like, and it depends on the week. It depends on the week too. When we get, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but sometimes you get that like, you know, Kamara. So let, let's let's use the one week Kamara against the Lions. Right? I didn't do it because I'm a donkey, but he's he's like eighty five percent owned. He was literally like eighty five percent owned in uh, high stakes tournaments. Like it's it's unreal. And everybody had Troutman, too. So I don't care about, for me personally, in a field like that, I wouldn't care about also going after the Claypool chalk and also going after the the Henry chalk and also, go, you know, I pinned, you pin in on one, that one. If, if, if Kamara does not go off and if Adam Troutman does not go off, what happened? And so, I, you know, there was a, 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 people had different opinions on that exact leverage point, but the point being, like in the fields that I'm playing, sometimes there's just one thing I have to do, you know, and it sucks because the problem, the probability of it, of it working, like you said, 90% of the time you're going to lose, but you have to be willing to willing to lose. And so kind of going back to what we were, we were initially talking about, you have to break down the slate and those leverage points have to be a very, very critical part of your initial process because the games that you're going after and the, like the, the secondary correlations that you've talked a lot about already that you're going after are like wholly dependent upon that leverage. Like, yes, the, the correlation is an important thing. You know, playing, um, playing, and I guess this is even like a leverage point, but playing Devontae Parker and Jameson Crowder, which I guess technically was maybe some leverage off of, off of Gaskin who came in a lot higher owned than I think I expected. But, you know, playing random secondary correlations is good. Correlation is good. You should, you should, you should want that. But correlation... That, prov- that provides you leverage on the field is just like so much more valuable. So your priorities, you know, uh, it's different for you and how you're putting together that priority list for 80 teams or 120 teams than it is for me for two or three. But I have to rack and stack that that list of, of priorities. 
and you know you're setting exposures and you're setting rules and correlations based on that i'm punching in you know eight guys into two teams based off of that and like you said henry henry was chalking you played him mike davis was chalking you played him and it was still like the most perfectly leveraged and correlated lineup that you that you could have so um, you know, like when people, we were talking a little bit before the, before the show, when people get on, get on Twitter and say like, oh, Derrick Henry was a fish play. It's like, well, yeah, maybe let me see the team that you put him on. Right. I, you know? I think uh, I, I would agree. And I think in, in cash games on DraftKings, I, I would lean more towards that sentiment on for, for, yeah. for a median, a guy that, that is not involved in the passing game on a, on a full point PPR site, when we already have Davis and Madison there. And the three seven k build for running back was not was obviously not the optimal. Not optimal, yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I get it, but that's why that's why why do you think I stress in the course so much that it's all about lineups and contests? It's not about players. It's a mm-hmm. it, it, for your contest. Uh, Henry could have been the dumbest play in that lineup. Yeah. In, in my yeah. contest, in my lineup, it could have been the smartest play. And because even in the difference in ownership, like I wanted to talk to you about this, Eric. Uh, I, and this is, see, you have to do the leveling more than I do because I'm playing in a lot of the larger field. You get a lot more dead money in it. Yeah. Uh, were you shocked? Because I went in this direction also. I I think most sharp players uh, saw that Atlanta, we, 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 it happened again, Eric. It happened I again. Know. I, uh, I Atlanta, we Minnesota was, and the yeah. Tennessee Titans game were the supposed chalk. Okay, and and they were they were the two most popular games. Uh, most people identified, most sharper players it seemed, got on the bandwagon with the highest total game on the slate, which was the Packers Buccaneers. And I, I'm taking a look right now in the luxury box, which is the highest stakes, the three thousand entry, con- the three thousand dollar entry contest. Devontae Adams was twenty eight percent owned. Okay, he was the second highest owned wide receiver. A.J. Brown was number one at 30%, and Devontae Adams was 28% owned. In the play action, the $3 play action, you know, the small, the 100000 a first, he was 15% owned. <laughs> okay? So, like, I, I'm playing Devontae Adams in those contests because I don't play the luxury box. I don't play the Wildcat. In the Wildcat, Devontae Adams was 25% owned. Let's take a look at Chris Godwin. Okay? Chris Godwin in the, in the luxury box was 18% owned. Can you believe that? Because in the play action, uh, Godwin was 7% owned. So I'm playing a ton of Godwin, Adams, you know, single skinny stacks, you know, that type of stuff. And I'm playing them in my yep. contest. If I had, if I, if I were playing those high stakes contests and I thought Devontae Adams and Godwin would be two of the most chalky receivers, I would have loaded the hell up on the Atlanta, Minnesota game as much as possible. Like I, I was light. I like I was light on Thielen. Uh, I was light on Madison. Uh, I mean, Madison was still high owned in the high stakes. I mean, the, the running backs. I mean, the game was yep. still owned. I mean, Derrick Henry was twenty nine percent in the luxury box. AJ Brown was thirty percent in the luxury box. Uh, Davis was thirty one percent. Gaskin was higher owned in the high stakes. Why? Because everyone wanted to play Devontae Adams and Chris Godwin. So you needed exactly. cheap. You needed cheap running backs. So uh, this is this is what I mean by like if. <laughs> It you have to base it on the owner. You, that's why when I say all the time when uh, we review shows, I'm with uh, Stevie on uh, the morning grind on Roto Grinders, and uh, and this is why I look at Results DB every morning. That 
I could only judge my decisions by had I known that, would I have done anything differently? Okay, and the only thing that that I could I could better predict is what the field is going to do, not what the players are going to do. So mm-hmm. had I had I known that Alexander Manderson would only put up four points, I'd have him in zero percent of my lineups. But how do you <laughs> predict that? You can't. But I could I could better predict ownership and go. Had I known so many people were going to pivot to the Green Bay Tampa Bay game. I would have played much less of it. I actually would have flipped on the other side. So this is what I mean by I don't have takes. Who are your yeah. plays? If 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 everyone thought, if the group think was this week that the Falcons' defense is horrible, they get, they'll get burned. Jefferson's in a prime spot for a hundred yard game, and Jefferson was twenty eight percent owned, and Matt and, and Thielen was ten percent owned. You know who I'd have more of? I'd have more Adam Thielen. So it's like I'm not predicting what's going to happen. It's just like the disparity of the ownership doesn't make sense. And I'm just, what are you doing? I'm doing the opposite. Doesn't mean I'm not playing that guy because that guy can fit because they have high probability. They're they're owned because they have high probabilities. So uh, did you, in in your lineups, because, I mean, I had 33% exposure to Devontae Adams. I had 24% exposure to Chris Godwin. They didn't get there, but... I believe that those I would not have changed my decisions because I'm playing in the play action in the $9 slant, looking at the ownership. But if you did that in the higher stakes, technically, if you had known that so many more people were going to go galaxy brain, go to the, the other game, like truthfully, I don't think you, I don't think you play Adams Godwin at that ownership in an 11 game slate. Like I, I think, I think you don't. I, I I don't think that's sufficient. I think now now they become the chalk. I I, I opened the you know my DraftKings app uh, a little bit after the noon game started just to check ownership, and I saw like so I didn't play the expensive running like I didn't play any of the expensive running backs in tournaments, and so we'll get to where this gets really tilting. But that was part of my thought is okay. People are playing all those seven K running backs, right? And then everybody wanted to play all these different, even like Jonathan Taylor and all these, you know, whatever, James Robinson. People had all these guys that were more expensive running backs. And I wanted to play those wide receivers if everybody else was paying. You know, if you're playing Derrick Henry and Chase Claypool, I wanted to play Devontae Adams and Miles Gaskin, right? Type of like that concept. So that was my approach. So I went after the, the Vikings and Falcons game because they had a lot of, you know, it was a explosive game stack with some leverage points and superstar wide receivers that fit perfectly with, you know, it just the build came together perfectly. And then I did the same thing, like you said, with uh, Devontae Adams and Chris Godwin because it was, okay, this is the you know, maybe the highest scoring game of the weekend. Nobody's playing, nobody's playing these two no, guys. Nobody, because, quote unquote, yeah, nobody. It nobody. turns out that everybody did. Literally everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I pivoted to the chalkiest because I thought I was being, I thought I was being sneaky, but I mean, it it is crazy. Uh, And I think, yeah. And so then in turn, the, the, you know, the last point on that, then in turn, it makes the, the miles gas miles Gaskin is what the highest owned running back in the luxury box. Yeah. He was 33%. He was higher on than Madison Davis or Henry. And, and, It made everybody played the you know everybody played the dolphin dolphins defense so now everybody has this same you know oh, I can even if you think the dolphins defense is chalk I can play Gaskin with it and get the correlation or vice versa right whatever all these plays that you're like that 
we talked about it last week that a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, we're like these next level sharp plays that are advantages in tournaments have become the opposite. And well, there are advantages such- in the tournaments that I'm playing. Yeah. And it is, it, it was, it was the absolute. So anyway, I checked the ownership and I'm like, Derek Henry is what? I'm like 29. I'm like, that feels kind of low. And I'm like, Mike Davis, 30, Madison, 30. I'm like, none of these guys, pop, you know, usually you can't always guess exactly who it is in like these smaller fields, but usually one or two of those like super chalky guys pop like way up, you know, get up to 50 or something like that. And that kind of tells you the build. And I'm just looking through all this and I'm like, yeah. And then Thielen, like Thielen's 20, like these guys are owned, obviously. I mean, they're the best. Yeah, but they're best. not super owned. Typically in smaller but, fields. Like you see a guy that's uh, 30% owned, uh, 28%, like a Mike Davis would be 28% owned in the Wildcat. And then like in the luxury box, he'd be 40% owned, right? Exactly. Like you see AJ Brown in the, in the play action would be 21%. And in the luxury box, he'd be 38%. And then you'd know where, where, where people went from there, especially with the late games. And you probably looked at that and go, no, this is about equal to what, what it should be. So where did people go? And then, which, then which the late games lock on, and you're yeah. like, everyone went with me. <laughs> yeah. You're sitting on Devonte Adams, miles Gaskin, you know, and Chris Godwin. And you're like, shit, all these guys are not, nobody popped off for, for high ownership. And so you're, I'm just like, well, you know, that was, that was a mistake. Um, and, and not a mistake in like, I, I, it was a mistake in projecting the ownership. Right. I, right. I, but, I, but that's the only thing was, that you could do. So this is, yeah. this is the weird way. This is why like Henry was a fish play. <clears throat> Those types of things are thinking in terms of players and not lineups and contests. So for instance, it would be perfectly, it would be the correct decision. Had we known this and had you known this information, if you were playing low stakes contests, if you're playing the dollar or whatever, if you played Adams and Godwin and you played something like that, I think you made a good decision. I mm-hmm. think I think I think that 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 was that that was proper. But and and in the lower stakes, you know what was more popular than that? Fitzpatrick and Parker. Fitzpatrick, really? Parker, Crowder. If we, I take a look at his ownership uh, on the luxury on the on the play action, like James Crowder was sixteen percent owned, right? I mean, like. Uh, Devontae wow. Parker was 11% owned. Fitzpatrick was the highest owned quarterback in the lowest stakes. The thing is, is that in the lowest stakes, he, they were over-owned. Like, that's where you play yeah. Gaskin. But the funny part is that you know what the sharp play was in the luxury box? To play Fitzpatrick, Parker, and Crowder. Like, right. th- th- these are the concepts that, like, until – once you get these concepts where, like, like I just named, like, the – here are the guys that you should definitely, like, if I was on a show and, and the people that were listening were playing the large field small entry contest, I'd be like, you got to fade the Dolphins passing game. You got to play Gaskin and the Dolphins defense together because everyone's playing the 7K running backs. And I would be correct. And then if yeah. I was doing the show in front of people that are playing the Wildcat and Luxury Box, I go, everyone's playing Gaskin and the Dolphins defense. <laughs> Why do you stack that game? Maybe the Jets could be competitive. And they both would be correct. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, you could, it's, it's different players, different contests. One decision had, you know, I'm sure every sharp player looks at this ownership in the luxury box and thought the same thing and go, Oh, everyone went, Oh, oops. Like, like, uh, maybe I should have just stacked the hell out of the Atlanta, Minnesota and the, yeah. and the Tennessee game, but I played more and more Watson stacks played the, you know, the other side yeah, exactly. that more people did in the lower stakes. Because the comparative ownership is the contest don't it's dramatically different 
We're talking about disparities of 2X. Adams was 28% in the luxury box and 15% in the play action. I mean, like, we're talking about, like, ridiculous. Godwin was barely on the radar in lower stakes, and he's coming in as one of the top-owned wide receivers. That That's where you have to figure out what the efficient ownership of a player is for a specific contest, and yeah. every contest is different. And most of the most of the people out there uh, play lower stakes. I mean, like... Right. Like even even I don't play in the wildcat and the luxury box. I mean, I do play in the power sweep and the and the spy, but those are two thousand, four thousand, six thousand entry contests. I mean, they're not small, small. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you, since ninety plus percent deal with that, like the game, it's it's you're literally. We said it last week, right, Eric? Playing in in the in the higher stakes and the lower stakes, especially in a high liquid sport like NFL. Is is almost like two different games. It is. It's crazy. It, it, I mean, you know, this conversation is so refreshing because it really, it really is. It's crazy, and all content and all ownership projections and all that is geared towards, you know, like even talking to Jamino and and people that that put a lot more work and are a lot smarter about it than I am. You know, he's been, he's it, it's projecting for millimaker slant, whatever lower stakes, large large field the more casual user and and like <laughs> i don't want to say i get upset that's not the, the the right term but i'll you know i see this right exactly what we're talking about i'm like dude you are so like i'm like i'm using your ownership <laughs> you know and, and like i i make my own personal you know pivots off of it with with some of this kind of stuff that we're talking about but in general you have to have a baseline and i'm using uh, a baseline from some of these sites and it's like it's it's become difficult because you have to second third level thinking like okay this is the baseline that everyone's working off of right right so you know uh, Empire it's, Maker it's, it's the same Osimo. reason Eric that I say that I listen to a ton of shows throughout the week I mean I have no life I'm sitting in front of a computer I put it on like it's talk radio but I know that like I'm playing large field low stakes contests and I know that most of the listeners of shows are people that play in low stakes. Mm-hmm. large field contest like like you know wakey wakey ain't listening to the morning grind i mean like petty it's, it's like like the, the the high stakes pros like i mean maybe they listen but i mean and maybe they're listening for the same reason because they're they're playing 150 milli entries and they're yeah. seeing where the field go goes but at the higher stakes when you play the luxury box with an 11 entry max at three thousand dollars like you ain't getting casual money in that right mm-hmm. you may get a whale but here or there but 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 there, but everyone's looking at the same thing. So, like, I think you need to take more into account that that well, everyone's looking at this. So, what are they thinking? And then, how do I outthink that until at least it starts tilting, kind of in the other direction, where people are at least realize. I, I just don't think many people uh, are realizing that. I just, I just, I, I mean, you could tell just by this, this Green Bay, Tampa Bay ownership. We could tell when the Cowboys went underowned after they should, they were chalking the low stakes. We see this mm-hmm. week after week that, uh, I mean, I'm not playing in those higher stakes contests, so I don't have to worry about it as much. But it's always interesting to look and go, go when I, when I'm playing my spy and my power sweep lineups. That, like, I have to think that there are more entries than I would normally expect that are finding leverage. In yeah. the same way that I'm identifying, and I'm not, I'm not doing anything revolutionary. Like me and you, I mean, we're we're pointing out the same things that we saw. We didn't talk yeah. to each other before at all, 
And we could build the same, we, we're looking at it the same exact way. And a lot of sharp players are looking at it the same exact way. I just don't think at the higher stakes, people, people are doing that going, I'm going to be sneaky. And then not realizing that no, 90% of your opponents are also trying to be sneaky. So, so you have to, even if you do go in that direction, you have to at least take that into account when you start building your lineup. So I'm, I'm hope and you know, what's going to happen, Eric? Next week, everyone's going to be at, right in the higher stakes. Everyone's going to be like, well, this is the sneaky spot, but everyone's going to go there. So I'm not going to play it. And it comes in like 3% owned and it is sneaky and it goes off, right? It's going to be one of those types of things. That's a, it has been an unbelievably hard balance because like, you know, you and I have talked about this now. Uh, I've like started to not started to figure this out, but I, I've started to have this feeling, you know, and I listen to like, you know, you listen to probably like the, the Oni and those guys, and he's mm-hmm. talked about it. Drew's talked about it. You know, everybody that's a, a sharper GPP player has kind of started to see this trend, right? And, and uh, like Leone and, and Drew have like a, a little bit similar of a, you know, Drew's playing uh, you know, 150 max contest and Leone's playing a little bit more like me. So they're having these similar kind of conversations. So all this different conversation, us talking about it, them talking about it, me seeing it play out in the ownerships, like I've started to realize it, but applying it into my process on a week to week basis has undoubtedly been a struggle for me as proven by Devonte by Devontae Adams and Chris Godwin this week. It was um last you know last week we talked about with the cowboys thing and and uh you know i i ultimately decided on the chiefs we talked about that last week i ultimately decided on the chiefs and i don't think that that was necessarily wrong but um you know there's reasons why someone could argue with me that maybe you know i didn't make the most optimal decision and then this week i i know i didn't make the most most optimal decision at least on the 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 lineup that i went with the the adams godwin godwin concept and so I think, you know, now you look back on it, you know, Tuesday morning quarterback and I see, well, yeah, of course it makes sense. Everybody thought that everybody started with this baseline ownership projection that we're all like they, everybody had, you know, these guys are all very sharp, but we're basically all starting with pick, pick the site. They're all pretty much the same ownership projections, right? Rotor grinders, ETR, whoever. They're all, we all look at that and then we all take the next step. Okay. Everybody's playing. Uh, you know, the Thielen and, and AJ Brown and whatever, and everybody's paying up for running back. So I'm just going to play Devonte Adams. It's like, okay, you have to, then you have to like process how, how like, how real is this? How, how real are, you know, 20 out of these 200 people in this contest going to actually make that pivot? And it's like this total mind fuck <laughs> that you're put, that you're applying to yourself. Like, okay, this, this seems like the right thing to do. But how exactly how many people are gonna are gonna make that make that pivot? And you know, on a week to week basis, it is a difficult thing to analyze. But I'm starting to lean kind of like you said towards, um, you know, that third that third level where assuming until they prove me differently, assuming that everyone is making those those kind of like obvious GPP pivots. Right, but that's why you could still exploit that in the lower stakes. Yeah, like right. that. That's why, like, that's why, like, I, I don't care as much about that. I'm thinking, I'm that. Did, didn't I say this last week that like my skill at poker was always beating average players? Like yeah. I was always like against good players. Like I'm a nit. So if I see a table full of good players, I just don't play. It's just like I don't just don't see my edge there. And a table mm-hmm. full of bad players. Like if if you're playing in a DFS contest with tons of bad players that literally can't identify the best value. Right. They can't they have no clue why A.J. Brown is a good value or why uh, why Chase Claypool was fine. 
Uh, I mean, like like that that sh- that cash. If you can't identify a cash construction, you're going to be horrible at GPPs because now you're just like, you know, how do you identify anything? Like against those types of players, you have to play the best lot. You're going to win more often than not by just I'm going to I'm going to play the best stack, right? I'm still because it's still a progressive tour. Let's say I'm playing against a hundred bad players. Like I'm still going to put correlation in, right? I'm still mm-hmm. I'm not going to play just my cash lineup. But I'm going to play the best cash lineup with the car with three plus one. Like what? What is the best three plus one? And then fill in the rest of the spots with the best projected plays. Like literally, you're going to beat bad players that way. Now, average mm-hmm. players know enough about how to build GPP lineups that now you could start looking for leverage. Now you could. Everyone's going to play this guy. I'm going to play. They're going to. They're going to go. I'm going to stack with Thiel. Right? They're going. Thielen's a good play. I'm going to play Cousins, Thielen, Irv Smith. Right? They do that. Like, so yep. they know at least to do that in GPP. And now I'm going to take advantage of the average player by going, well, I'm going to stack the other side of the game with Ryan and Julio and play Justin Jefferson, right? Yep. Completely again, negatively correlated to that. Because I need to realize that people are going to play that correlation. People are going to play uh, Stafford, Galladay, and Hawkinson. So, like, once I know that that people understand stacking enough, now I'm going to go, okay, what's, car- what's negatively correlated to the to, to that stack? That benefits when that stack fails, but yep. in, in in you could do that against average players, against the top players. We are we already know all of this. I mean, like you know, I'm not going to get an advantage because people are going to find those leverage points and exploit them way more often. But because more people are exploiting them, then the the pivots, those leverage pivots, <laughs> get get more ownership. I'm just I'm just more I'm just the only thing I was shocked more in the in the luxury box was was the the Jefferson. Ownership. I guess people just didn't want to stack that game. People were more likely in the higher stakes to just get off the game or play a little uh-uh. bit more Julio as a one-off. Like they would uh, play, play feeling. They would play feeling and Julio together, right? They would do that instead of Ridley because Ridley was more expensive at 7,800 and people were playing mm-hmm. Devontae Adams at 8,000. So they could fit in Ridley with these cheap running backs. So like I see where the leverage went because Julio in the luxury box was 14%. In the play action, he was 7%. Okay? Yep. Look out. It's a 2x disparity in ownership. So, but I, but Justin Jefferson, on the other hand, was higher, was actually higher owned in the low stakes. I mean, not by that much. I'm looking here in results DB. Justin Jefferson in the luxury box was 10%. In the play action was 13%. Because more people, because people, that was the chalky game. So people were, 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 the lower stakes average players were just like, I think this is the best game. I'm going to stack it. And that, and that's all they at least know to stack. I mean, obviously there are plenty of dead lineups in there with no stacks and, you know, just mishmas and garbage, but in the higher stakes, you can't get away with just, I think that's the best game and stack it <laughs> until everyone thinks that. And then, then you just go, I'm going to, I guess the Cowboys and the opposing, I'm just going to, I'm going to play the obvious thing that whatever. So, so it, it's just, it's really a context. Matters yeah. so much, and that's why, obviously, on Twitter, when you only have uh, two hundred such characters, that like the nu- the nuance of those those subjects like kind of goes out the window. Because how much can you account- how much can you can you debate in the span of two sentences? Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up Julio because that was another play. You know, that was another play that I made same, exact same concept. Where okay, like, you, you you described it perfectly, and then he comes in, you know, fifteen percent or whatever, and you're, you're just like. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it's good to, to talk about this because 
it's something that is a struggle, but it's the perfect illustration between, you know, you talk about it, I talk about it, you know, between contests and just how important that is. Like what, like what you just outlined, I don't even know if people understand the gravity of the difference between 7% and, you know, almost 15% right. or how, whatever. How stupid, because look, 13, most people, look at what I said before. Fitzpatrick, Parker, Crowder, Skinny Stack. If you played that in lower stakes, what a fish play. You're a fish. It's fucking, you, you play Gaskin in the Dolphins defense. What are you, stupid? And then I look at the higher stakes and go, Gaskin in the Dolphins defense. What are you, a fish? Right? Playing 33% on Miles Gaskin and a 37% on defense. Are you stupid? Yeah, you, yeah. you should have just played Devontae Parker and James Crowder. You know how to normal people it sounds stupid because they because because it's like, well, how could one be a good play? Because people are thinking in terms of how do I predict what the players are going to do, rather right. than how do I predict what my opponents are going to do. Yeah, and it's it's a re- like I'm 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 excited to see like what happens with it with it this this upcoming week because. Um, you know, it continues to play itself out like this, but every week is, you know, every week is different. Every week is, is, is so nuanced that it does, you know, I, I haven't had a very good NFL season. I think I've struggled with, um, ex- like we talk about this and like, we both understand these different concepts that we're, we're talking about. And honestly, that's, what's made me successful in the past is understanding these leverage points and how to construct teams, blah, blah, blah. But now that's just like the ante in these in these tournaments and now it's this like galaxy brain thinking of figuring out exactly where you know it's a it's a market right the the ownership on all these players is a is a market that's very drastically different at the at the higher stakes um because everybody is is you know just as smart but everybody used to jam in still like that was my advantage like you talked about against average players i'm not trying to say that these you know these guys are the best players in the world they weren't average players but they didn't take um, say the luxury box is serious because these guys, $3,000 or even if they're multi-entering the luxury box to these people is nothing to me. It's something, but to them, it's not really anything. They got more, you know, they have more money and head to heads and leagues and, and all that kind of stuff across both sites to care about $6,000 of luxury box entries. So they're jamming in their best teams used to now that has evolved and they are doing this. Okay. Well, I'll, you know, I'll pivot to the Adams Godwin type stuff. And it has been something, you know, for me personally playing against all these people that I was able to kind of take advantage of those leverage points really easily in the past. And it was successful. And now it's a little bit different ball game. Um, and so I think we're getting, we're getting, you know, the Thielens and like you said, uh, uh, Fitzpatrick and Devonte Parkers, whatever at, at higher stakes coming in, it's sometimes about right what they should be sometimes maybe a, a little bit lower, but they're not unowned. And then you have the pivot, the pivots that are just a little bit higher owned, but balancing that on a week to week basis. And what does that mean for making the optimal decisions? Um, I think it's something that's still, that's still been, you know, a, str- a struggle for me. And I know a lot of people, like a lot of people that I talk to are playing, you know, smaller field stuff, not necessarily the luxury box, but I do think it's, it's, relatively applicable across all small fields maybe not to the extent you know of Devonte adams being one of the chalkiest players on on the slate across all small fields but i do think it's really applicable you know for a lot of casual users that are are just playing a couple of teams and some smaller field stuff that um 
you know, should be a, a lot more of your process than say it used to be. It's not, you know, the Jefferson one was a good example. I, that was one that I did think I legitimately was like, this is, this is one of those that's going to happen. This was, it ended up being Julio. It was the opposite, but I thought, okay, I'm going to play the Atlanta receivers and people are going to try this, this, this leverage point, And he's going to, Jefferson's going to be 18% or something like that. Right. Was like one that I actually had that thought and I was wrong, but that was, you know, I'm trying to next level, <laughs> next level this. Um, and I, but I think you have to, um, and I, I'm not, you know, I haven't figured out exactly how to apply it perfectly just yet, but, um, but, it, but it's very I, similar. I, it's very similar to poker about balancing your ranges, even with your, with yes. your, with your, with your actions. So for instance, just to, just because obviously, you know, theory of daily fantasy sports, very, you know, a parody ish type of take on theory of yeah. poker. I mean, that's. I, I, that's how I'm influ- I'm influenced primarily by two plus two and in, in the in the mm-hmm. poker from from the two thousands era uh, that uh, we see with continuation bets. I'm I'm using a very simple example of a continuation bet in in poker. A C bet is when you're the pre flop raiser and you're in first position against a sole opponent, and on the flop, uh, two thirds of the time you're you, you miss the flop, but both opponents will miss the flop, and whoever bets first wins. Typically, uh, I'm, I'm talking about especially like the lower, lower, lower levels of, uh, of like no limit type of play. Um, mm-hmm. So you have players. This is what thinking like average players, like average players uh, will think in terms of, well, I bet pre-flop. I'm going to bet on the flop every time. Right. Because most of the most of the time my opponent's going to uh, more than half the time my opponent's going to fold Uh so they always do it. It doesn't matter if they have ace king ace. It doesn't matter. They're going to do. They're going to bet literally. I mean, nearly a hundred percent of the time. And then you have other average players that are like, if I miss the flop with ace king, like they check. Like they only bet if they hit or they have the overpair or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's very polarized. Of like either they do one a lot more than the other. It may not be hundred percent, but it's like a ninety to ten type of thing. Uh, once you once you could expose that, once you are, are observant enough of that, then it's so much easier to play uh, hands against them on the flop because, like you know that not, if they're ninety percent of the time going to bet one hit, I could look at the texture of the board and go, I could better much better predict the range of his hands. I could now either out outplay him. I could uh, make more money when I do you know, hit my hand because yep, so, yep. I know what he has. Like I, my expected value of the hand goes way up. My implied odds go way up or my fold equity. I mean, like I know that, that <clears throat> if, if, if a scare card comes out, I may be able to, to, to raise them off the hand with a, with a draw or something. I, I know a lot more if they're a 90, 10 type of person in both directions, good players balance, balance that out where they're they're uh, I'm, and I've confused people in the average stakes where, like, I'm C betting like sixty percent of the time. So it's like even if and and I'm 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 random I'm in my head randomizing like, well he he saw this this opponent. This is why I play live poker because you know you could see who's at your table for hours at a time and go this opponent saw me uh, bet uh, continuation bet and have a hand. So like the next time. I'm going to bet with without a hand, without a hand with with Ace King. Right. They're more likely to think that I have a hand. And if I've gotten caught a couple of times, maybe I do the reverse. But against good against average players, sometimes 
I, you know, I have Ace King and uh, it's Ace two four and whatever, and I check and first and first to act and I and I literally check, especially on boards that are not scary. Like I'm getting the, giving the free card, especially if I'm playing against a lower stack opponent that I'm 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 not like deep in. Like if I lose like lose a thousand bucks in my stack on the hand, I'll throw in some checks here and there, even though I have and then maybe I get paid off because maybe I check with the Ace King. And he has, and my opponent has ace jack. And my check causes him to bet going, well, I don't, well, dude doesn't have the ace. So I have the best ace. And then I call him and then I make more money by having my opponent take it because he was confused by the check in the beginning. Because I'm balancing it enough that you constantly, that my opponent has to reassess. and, And I know how an average player thinks. So like, I know what they're looking at and what they're thinking about and, they think in terms of like you always see bet and you never see bet or something. But good players don't think that way. They think mm-hmm. of how often do I do this? How often, you know, like those types of things. What range of hands do I do this with? Right? They raise free flop with actually a suited connector, and then the board comes ace garbage, and they're betting because you know they they have a virtually worthless hand that has no draw and eight high, and they're just going to guess on the fact that there's only three more aces out in the deck, and you know, their last act that your opponent checked and you're going to win. You're just going to win the pot right there more often than not, than you should be betting like 80 to 90% of the time. So these, these, this is, this is kind of the poker equivalent of balancing your lineup ranges that you have to take into consideration that in the lower stakes that people are uh, everyone on the show say that uh, these two games are great to target, so I'm 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 going to play the great to target games, and then I'm like, okay, thank you for giving me obvious leverage points, thank you very much, yeah. and uh, and I can better predict the ownership, so I I know I know how I can build my lineups with the the proper amount of leverage for the contest. Oh, thank thank you, thank you for letting me know. But then at the higher stakes, you kind of you kind of have to bat you you have to balance your 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 lineup decision making where. You go, well, they think that I think that I think, you know, like those types of things. And and you, you're not going to know what, what direction that's that's going to be on a given slate because it could be like the, the sharp play, like you said, at the higher stakes could have been the, the, the Ryan stack instead of the Godwin's Adams. Maybe you look at Godwin's Adams and they come in at 15 and 8% owned and like – Everyone like, and then you see Alexander Madison at eighteen percent ownership, right? Right. You see one of those where it's like, once you see Alexander Madison at eighteen percent, you're like, how many who, how many Justin Jefferson lineups are out there? How many Julio lineups are out there? Because that's that would be the obvious leverage on that. But once you see thirty one percent Madison, you know, uh oh, <laughs> you go, uh oh, yep. that 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 it, that that leverage point was not the one that was the most popular. So, uh. I mean, I, 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 I know a lot of people don't play those contests, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not, like, even me, myself, I don't concern myself that much about it. Mm-hmm. But I think, like you said, it highlights so brightly, shining on a big light, how the lineups you build are directly related to the contests that you play. And that, like, just looking at just projections and ownership, and just the best plays type of stuff, like th- that's not what wins these contests. It's 
It's it's the game theory. I know I've just bred the game theory of it. But but uh, but why not bring up the course? Because you know, like I said before, there's no there's no better marketing than winning. Because literally, that's I mean, that's what I do. I mean, that's that's a, the people. Uh, I put out the video of how I built whatever. Well, what were your three best plays? I'm like, no best plays. <laughs> I, no, I nothing. My best play was who was was Justin Jefferson. Like that that truthfully. That was yeah. that was the, the leverage and the Ryan style, like the one that won it for me, the Julio Jefferson. I yeah. would consider that the best play, but they're they're not the best. They're not, in a vacuum. They're not the best plays. They're the best the plays for could, leverage, right? But they're and not the highest probability plays. That lineup still could have won if Julio and Jefferson were just average, but T Higgins and Brandon Cooks went for forty, 40 or whatever, right. or thirty or what? Like, and then you would say, you know, it, 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 it's re- it. We talk about it and we beat that horse to death constantly, right? But there are just so few people that even still still really get it. And I, I, I will never consider myself like an expert in any of this kind of stuff. I'm learning. Hey, my- if I talk to my hey Eric, if I talk to myself from a year or two ago, and I and I and I I, I use these game theory concepts. I've been using it since I started mm-hmm. playing. Like right. just, but I've gotten so much better at projecting ownership and projecting what yeah. people are going to do, like an experience in, in lineup building, hand building, as well as with a lineup builder and go, mm-hmm. okay, I, I see where I went wrong in this lineup. I should have correlated this way, or I got a little too much leverage there or a little too little. Like you learn yeah. so much by doing, and then studying other, and then just studying other players. And you go, especially the ones that think more like me. And I go, how do I, how do I find? Cause sometimes, sometimes in the large field, like you said, you know, they're playing so much volume that it's like, it's a battle of projection models. And just mm-hmm. like they're, they're playing their, the highest ceiling probability stuff, you know, and obviously, obviously they have a contrarian ranking. They have some type of leverage in the larger field stuff and they're, go, they're scaling it down by there. But it's, it's more of a, I believe I have the most accurate projections. Uh, I'm going to calculate ceiling probability. I'm going to calculate ownership. I believe that my calculations are 2% better than yours. And I'm going to play 300,000 in volume today. And I'm going to get a 2% return. And I'm going to play the afternoon slate the same way. And I'm going to play the NBA. I'm going to play everything that way. And 2% ends up being at the end of the year there. They have three quarters of a million dollars. And and they're they're great. That's a a great living to have. But... That's not that's not the only way to play, and uh, if your if your strength is not in uh, modeling, if your strength is not in that, where you're not going to be able to beat uh, Awesomeo's model, you're not going to be able to beat uh, Brian Hooper Bricks, you know, background in in that. Like you, you I'm not, they're they're years ahead of me. Like I could yeah. get that good, but I mean, I'm playing DFS now, right? So, like, how, how, how do I take advantage of that? Knowing, and, I, and it's the third level stuff. I know what their projections probably, I know Galladay is projected higher. I, I know this. I, and I'm purposely not playing him. Like, cause I, because I know that. I know Thielen is projected high. That's why I'm not playing it. Rather than, oh, I'm playing 7 million lineups and, like, if they fit, they fit like... Yeah, they're the high probability plays. I'll play them in some lineups, but once you learn what projections are and how other people use them, 
Like, especially like average players. Average players use projections by what are the best lineups. Let me make 150. Click, I, I set a couple of settings and I plus 150. And like, yeah, of course, you have a ton of Madison and you have a ton of Davis and you have a ton of A.J. Brown. And th- thank you for donating by, by playing, you know, like le- non-leverage lineups in a large field GPP. Like, it, it's, it's, right. it's beautiful. Unless uh, you're going to need to score 330 points to win this week if, if those lineups do well. I'm gonna I'm, yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna win with the with I'm gonna win with two fifty three, right? You need you need three hundred plus in order to win with your lineups. I need two fifty in order to win with mine, and it's not based on solely on who are the best plays. So if you anyone has any questions, uh, you could always submit them. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. It, it, go, it goes to me, or you could always DM me or. On Twitter or Eric on Twitter. Eric's at uh, what? Eric Bime for? Yeah. Nice for? Nice and simple. My name. Right, nice, but people get the I and the E mixed up and they don't know. They, I know. People, people get that stuff mixed up. Then the people on the YouTube channel, uh, on my YouTube video, just finally realize that it's Blender Head and not Blender HD. But that's perfectly fine. You could, hey, I came in first for $50,000. Call me whatever you want. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I do not care what you call me. Doesn't matter. Blender Ed, Blendered. Some people are like, oh, I thought it's Blendered with an H or something. <laughs> I don't, who knows? Who knows? But uh, you could send those questions in. If you have any, any, uh, not play, it, it, yeah, people will troll me by sending in, uh, you know, I'll, I'll check the inbox and I'll be like, like, do I play Kamara or Thomas this week? And I'll be like, oh, let me block that guy, right? We don't do, we don't do that shit. Uh, and, uh, and if, and like I said, if you're, if you're, uh, Interested in buying the the audio course? It's fifteen hours long. It's me and James McCool. We discuss all of these concepts. What you what you listen to me and Eric discuss, like the general concepts. We talk we talk primarily of the application because we're coming off of a slate where we could see the context of everything. But all these concepts, how to apply them, uh, you could learn all of that base stuff in uh, in the the, the masterclass. Theoryofdfs.com. and uh, and I was also on the Take Cast. Uh, you could listen to the last episode with Davis Maddock, and uh, we talk a little bit, a little bit more general concepts. And uh, and there's also a promo code in there. So if uh, if you did, just search in iTunes for the Take Cast, spelled wrong, T A E K Cast. And because uh, I'm not going to just tell you what the promo code is, because the whole point is for you to listen to the podcast. That's kind of that. That's like the marketing end of it, right? Yeah. And there's no better marketing than winning. <laughs> 